This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the one and only Place Me Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rosero, coming to you here on this Monday evening inside the PTBN studios. Joining me, as always, my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Morning, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to episode 603 of the longest-running episodic by the fucking gold standard. 97 to 7 bills. Uh, yeah, uh, JR, how are you? Always a pleasure. Uh, we didn't have spring. We went immediately from 45 degrees to 75 degrees. <laughs> yeah, I went into office today for like only the second time since February 2020. And so I hadn't really gone outside. And I looked at AccuWeather and when it said real feel where I work was like 91 or something. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I didn't think it was supposed to get that hot out. That's crazy. Um, yeah. 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 But yeah, it's it's pretty insane. So we're right into the... The peak weather uh, of our guest here tonight this is his favorite, uh, favorite type of temperature. And it's been a while since we've had this uh, piece of Metagoth on. And he is, of course, uh, a regular here, an OG, and is joining us because he has very special ties to the show we're covering tonight. Your friend and mine, Mr. J. Arsenio Diamanto. Johnny, how are you? Uh, much to the chagrin of uh, your audience, uh, I'm still alive in the 21st century as I make my... <laughs> I make my 21st century debut here. <laughs> still going, still going. Yes, he was uh, joined us for all pay-per-views back on our original timeline and still here for this one. And like we said, tonight's show, you have a special uh, ties to, which we'll get to as we go through our episode tonight. Mm-hmm. But uh, as always, Scott, before we head to 2008, we head all the way back 14 years into a new year there as well. We're into 1994 and we're going to kick off our vintage Vintage vault corner section part (laughs) old stuff. There we go. All right. So, uh, on this date, which would be January 27th, 1994, uh, I don't have a show for WWF, uh, on this day. However, there was news. Uh, there was a press conference that day in Tokyo. Uh, with J.J. Dillon, who of course was an exec uh, for WWF at the time, 
and Akio Sato announcing Sato announcing a four date tour of Japan in May. Mm. So there we go. So when we get to uh, May, uh, uh, Jr. We'll maybe have to take mm-hmm. a peek and see what those shows look like. Because I'm thinking, I don't know, May '94, Japan. Eh, depending who they're wrestling, could be some interesting matchups there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, good, good, good stuff. Little Brett, some Sean taking on guys over there. I'll have to take a look and see. Uh, WCW did have a show on this day though, and it's actually a pretty big one. It was Clash of the Champions 26. From the Riverside Centriplex in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, We'll get to the notes in a minute because there was a couple of big things that happened. But here were the matches. Uh, Two Cold Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell defeated Paul Orndorff and Paul Roma. Pretty wonderful. Uh, Ron Simmons pinned Ice Train. Dustin Rhodes fought WCW television champion Lord Steven Regal to a 15-minute time limit draw. Cactus Jack and Max Payne defeated the tag team champions, the Nasty Boys, in a non-title match. Uh, Brian Pillman pinned Colonel Rob Parker, uh, who, of course, was managing the United States champion and former fellow Hollywood blonde Steve Austin uh, with a roll-up. And uh, let's see, what else uh, was, was the main event? Uh, Ric Flair and Sting. Of course, Flair won the world title the previous uh, month at Stockade. Uh, he and Sting defeated Vader and Rick Rude in an elimination match. Uh, let's see. Uh, I guess commentary. Flair and Vader were counted out at around the 1530 mark. Uh, Sting pinned Rude with a tombstone and splash off the top. So that was the card. But two big things happened uh, storyline-wise. Uh, of course, uh, you guys probably know who made his debut on commentary. Mm-hmm. And would stay there till the end of the company. And, of course, talking about the guy who Mr. D'Amato has on his uh, Skype uh, pick. The Brain. Bobby the Brain Heenan made his uh, WCW debut on this show. Of course, he was uh, historically booted out of the building by Gorilla Monsoon uh, on the well, late December episode of uh, of Monday Night Raw. Uh, I don't, were there rumors? I guess there were, right? I, I mean, we've, we've listened to Herb. He kind of had English. Yeah, right? I mean. I, well, I don't think it ever came up any herbs, but I think it was pretty obvious. I mean, he wasn't just going to go away, probably. So right. once he left WEF, I think the writing was on the wall. He'd head to WCW. Yeah. So I don't I don't remember being too much of a surprise, especially when Gene went at the end of 93. Like, it was right. pretty clear that Bobby would probably follow right after. I don't yeah. I don't remember being shocked as a kid. I mean, I wouldn't have been too dialed into anything, but it didn't like wasn't like this big. Oh, my God. You know? Yeah. What were you thinking, Johnny, when when you saw him uh, debut that night? Yeah, I was uh, up uh, on the melts, and uh, according to him, uh, pretty much the deal was in place that uh, uh, that, that Bobby pretty much uh, went with Vince's uh, blessing. So, mm. as far as it, it wasn't really much uh, a shock at all. Nah. Uh, um, yeah, I was gonna say like he probably doesn't leave. If I know that he didn't want to move like permanently or whatever, but he probably doesn't leave if they're not going to bring him in. Like I, like I said, I can't imagine him just walking yeah. away at that point in his career. So I, I think if WCW wasn't interested, he probably just, they probably just figure out a way to keep him in the door. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to go anywhere else. Like you know, he wasn't going to go to like Smoky mountain or he wasn't no, going to go to some podunk thing. He was he was definitely not going to go to ECW. So. There's more of a chance he might've gone and done like 
late night or something like that. You know what I mean? Like try to do something like that or right. um, end up on, on you know, whatever, some cable show or something. Right. Yeah. So, and the other uh, big thing that happened on this night, uh, the new commissioner of WCW was announced, and that mm-hmm. was former AWA world champion Nick Bockwinkle. Yes. Who uh, the following guys were thrown in the midst, uh, thrown in the thrown in the mix, uh, Luthez, Vern Gagne, and uh, De Bruyne, Bruno San Martino. Um, they mentioned Bachwinkle's matches against Gagne and Hogan and Dory Funk uh, before he was introduced, and uh, Aaron Neville. There we go. Uh, did the uh, he was on in attendance. I don't think he sang anything. Uh, so there you go. So that was what went on on this date in WCW, January 27th, 1994, uh, Clash of the Champions 26 from Baton Rouge as we were heading towards, uh, I guess it would be Super Brawl, I guess would be the next uh, show coming up. Uh, that's it for uh, past house show or card uh, vaults in 1994, JR. So why don't we uh, fire up a little? Okay, we got four installments here. As we kick off 1994, the first from January 6th, 94. All Japan women's Akira Hokuto has retired as predicted at the end of the year. Of course, uh, we'll see if that does not quite hold up, uh, but he just goes on to talk about some of his favorite matches. It turned out, uh, you know, she is slated to win attorney, uh, had elbow trouble, broken bone in her back, and continued to push through that and decided to go ahead and call it a career, but obviously she would. Uh, yeah, end, end up back in the ring as the 90s rolled on. As reported on the net, Sparky Thurman Plug was previously known as Hollywood Bob Holly in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Started with the promotion when it was still fairly young, left in May of 92, choosing to save his regular job instead of going to wrestling full-time, even though Jim Cornette wanted to push him. And now, as you recall, he's not too bad. There's a rumor afloat that Bobby Heenan, here you go, is in and Jesse Ventura is out. In WCW's Ventura's contract has run its end, and Jesse not being able to reach a new agreement. There's a new twist. Bobby Heenan is slated to start with WCW in two weeks and talk as he will be WCW's new commissioner, a role most recently rumored to be Nick Bockwinkle. WCW has reached because WCW did reach a new deal with Jesse Ventura as color commentator. So obviously getting a lot of mixed lines here. Jesse would stay. He's not gone. He stays through 94. Um, but he ends up kind of getting pushed aside a bit for Bobby. Bobby becomes the A commentator. Bachwinkle does come in as commissioner. I don't know how Bobby's commissioner would have worked, um, but I guess it could have been interesting. But he was still such a heel. It's not like later Bobby where he kind of twists uh, Tweener to face toward the end. But um, I, I think things went the way they should have went here. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Where else is it going to go, you know? Melzer reports that Quang, who had a terrible promo clip air mm. on the Cindy's, is also, uh, or is previously a Tasmaniac of ECW. He resembles Taz from what we could see. So, mm. well, so another mixed line. I don't think, I mean, have you ever seen anything? I don't think Taz was supposed to be Quang, right? I mean, that was not a no. rumored thing or, or anything, right? So, oh, God. You know, a, That'd be stupid for Taz to do that. <laughs> similar look, I guess. Mm. In my last post in mid In my last post in mid-December, I was a little off on Medusa's ring name at RF. Alundra Blaze, not Alexandria Blaze, is right. I was actually saw some of her title victory match. I was amazed that Vince tried to promote this as a competitive athletic match and not TNA. Speaking of Medusa, uh, she talks back to some old show she was on. Talk switches that Kurt Hennig is going to WCW or DRF. <laughs> so, hot rumors from her. What a, what a shock. <laughs> 
Barry Windham should return to WCW by February. The Royal Rumble on January 22nd in Providence. Yokozuna mm-hmm. versus The Undertaker for the WF title on a casket match. The Quebecers versus Owen and Bret Hart for the tag titles. Razor Ramon versus IRS for the IC title. Tatanka versus Ludwig Borga. And the Royal Rumble, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Crush, Kamala, Doink, Mabel, Moe, Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Adam Bomb, Bam Bam Bigelow, Randy Savage, 123Kid, Samu, Fatu, Bob Backlund, Greg Valentine, Rick Martel, Billy Gunn, Bark Gunn, Bastion Booger, Marjane, Tatanka, and Borga. And uh, if you want to hear more about the 94 Rumble, Aaron and I are just getting into that on now entering the Rumble on the North South Connection, where we break down every single Royal Rumble participant's uh, entrance of all time ever in the Rumble. So we actually just started 94, uh, getting into some of those early entrants in that Rumble as we go along, covering every single entrance. Uh, Herb says, I don't know, chances seem pretty likely the 900 number scam uh, may just sway Jack Tony's decision in allowing Lex Luger to participate in the Rumble. It seems clear the planned direction is for Luger to win the Rumble and go over Yokozuna at WrestleMania 10. Jim Cornette's interviews have certainly implied that as well. But there is some talk already posted here. The Undertaker will win the title and Yokozuna will turn babyface. The WF title match is being billed as Undertaker's only title shot, but Taker vs. Yoko has headlined many house shows during the time the Rumble has been hyped in this manner. This year is weird because many of the competitors in the Rumble work other matches in the card. I'm sure they'll use earlier events of the tag title and Tatanka Borga to build storyline for events in the Rumble. Both the Quebecers versus Guns and Ramon versus Michaels pairings are being saved for the house shows. In the Rumble Report segments, they identify Samu and Fatu backwards. This kind of mistake in WCW would lead to a barrage of posts complaining. And what's Kamala doing at the Rumble? You'd figure he's afraid to be in a card featuring a casket match. WCW has Clash of Champions 26 uh, on 127.93. Scott just ran through that. Super Brawl 4 on 220. Flair versus Vader and Thunderdome. Pillman, Sting, Dustin Rhodes versus Austin, Orndorff, and Rude. WrestleMania 10 on March 20th from MSG. King of the Ring from Philadelphia. So uh, not quite right there just now On uh, in July of 94. Also wrong for that. So any uh, quick thoughts on that batch before we move on? Everything seemed pretty cut and dry there. Nothing out of the ordinary. And most of the Rumble guys, right, have the card at the moment, right? In fact, that was probably pretty much the card. Yeah, I think that's it. So, yeah. Jonathan, for you. Right. As reported last week, Jesse Ventura has reached a new agreement with WCW. It runs until March of 95. The current dirt is that all the new players in WCW will debut at The Clash. Bobby Heenan coming as commentator. And after Clash, will take control of the weekly WCW main event Sunday night show. Do not know who he'll co-host with. Nick Bockwinkel will be the new commissioner. Strange report that Kensuke Sasaki was shot dead in Tokyo over the weekend. Sasaki, of course, is one half of the new Japan IWGP Tag Champions with Road Warrior Hawk. Uh, of course, he was not shot dead. The Super Sharkmaster will be Fred Ottman under a hood. Plans are afoot to set up a program with him versus Vader. Talk is that Sid Vicious will not be brought into WCW, but that changes daily. A while ago, it was reported that in the face of all the problems facing Vic McMahon, the WF could become more of a regional promotion with far fewer jaunt- jaunts to places outside of the home base. Certainly, that's the case for Toronto, a good drawing city, which is down to getting shows every couple months at best. So it's not much of a surprise here. DDF promoted the tag title rematch at MSG on a national TV show, even though the majority of audience couldn't attend. And of course, that's not far off. They do kind of retort back to the Northeast during this time, um, or at least some of the strongholds over the next few months. 
Police in Calgary have issued a warrant for the arrest of Davy Boy Smith on charges of aggravated assault. On the evening of July 25th, 1993, while visiting Calgary, Smith is alleged to be involved in a barroom brawl that ended with the other guy suffering brain damage. Cody Light suffered a fractured skull, lost hearing in one ear, lost the ability to speak clearly, and has memory difficulties. Calgary police have begun extradition proceedings to bring Smith back to the country. Smith and his wife, Diana, currently reside in Florida, and Smith is working uh, in England. Smith's Calgary lawyer claims that Smith has every intention of retaining, uh, returning to Calgary to face the charges. In fact, Smith has reportedly said he will return after his current tour of England ends. Mentioned the situation first in a post late last year, but details were not forthcoming. WCW claimed Dave Boy Smith was terminated because he failed to show up for dates. They wanted to set a new example for this kind of behavior by punishing him. It wouldn't have to do with one of your top baby faces beating up nightclub patrons to the point of brain damage, after all. <laughs> after being fired by WCW, Smith relaxed in Florida for a bit, working on some cards pro to Jim Neidhart, who also lives in Florida, and then has been working in England. There's talk that with the money freed up by firing Smith, they'll be making currently free agent offer Kurt Henning, uh, an offer he can't refuse. Where Rumble card uh, holds the same. More serious talk is that Undertaker is going to win a title from Yokozuna and Luger will the Rumble. Luger versus Undertaker match at WrestleMania will be booked that the most popular guy on that day would be champion at the end. Either that or Taker will drop the belt back to Yokozuna, who would then have to defend against Luger. But wait, Luger gets some more title shots because of Jim Cornette, right? How about if Jack Tunney rules that Lex Luger agreed to only one title shot during a second title reign of Yokozuna and that the agreement does not apply to this new reign? Fucking Herb always goes off with these convoluted <laughs> ideas. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Clash card, he runs that down. Super Brawl 4, Pil- uh, Pillman, Sting, and Rhodes versus Austin, Orndorff, and Rude in the Thunderdome, Flair and Vader in the Thunderdome. Regal versus Arn Anderson for the TV title. The Nasties versus Max Payne and Cactus Jack for the tag titles. Johnny B. Bad versus Michael Hayes. Harlem Heat versus Thunder and Lightning. Diamond Dallas Page versus Terry Taylor. And Jungle Jim Steele versus The Equalizer. Mania uh, still the same. He still has King of the Ring now in Baltimore uh, in July. So still the wrong month there. Uh, that wraps up uh, January 13th. Any thoughts on those? Yeah, Herb was on the, uh, the take a train early. He was... Uh pushing him for the main event uh, already. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a couple of things. Number one, I, I have a feeling we're going to get new winners at Super Brawl. New winners. Uh, number two, uh, uh, I like, um, of course, that uh, Regal uh, Arn match is was on probably everybody's top five or at least ten on their GWCW match lists because that match is pretty awesome. Is that the one? That, yeah, that's the one. Um and so is Super Shockmaster, meaning that that Uncle Fred's gonna wear like a Darth Vader mask instead of just yeah. A I, don't, I don't remember that. But I guess they the were thing again. I guess they were bringing him back and trying to repackage him maybe a little bit. And it's not just the make Shockmaster. Him serious. He's the yeah. Super Shockmaster. You think they would just like bail on that gimmick? I mean, I mean, who knows? It's it's her. It could have just been some bullshit he read on a forum somewhere. But uh, more party um, city masks. <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, Jesus, that's funny. But I agree with John. Uh, the whole Taker thing. I Taker Luger main eventing ten. Right. <laughs> yeah. That. I mean. I. I doubt there was ever any. Yeah. Any yeah. realistic talk of that. that too, so. too soon. Too soon for Taker. Yeah. No. I mean, the rumor that was out there, which I don't think was ever legit either, was that Taker would win and lose to Borga, and Luger would be Borga Mania. Like that's one I saw quite a bit out there, like in the Wild West days, later in the nineties on the internet. Hmm. Again, I think that might have been a scooter special. I don't know if that was real or not, but um, 
I can't see Vince wanting to do all these like flim flam title yeah, changes between January and March. That's not a Vince thing. That's weird. Yeah. All right, January 20th, talk persists that Dusty Rose days as Booker are numbered. Terry Funk is already running around saying he has the job, which leads everyone to conclude he doesn't have the job. <laughs> as regulars of the group know, as in Edmonton, blah, 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 talk about mm-hmm. that. Runs out of the Rumble card. Uh, most people are now picking Undertaker to win the title, the Hearts to win the tag titles, and Luger to win the Rumble. Runs out of the Clash card, featuring the debut of Nick Bockwinkel and Bobby Heenan. Super Brawl, same card in place there. King of the Ring, Mania date still there. So not much going on on January 20th. And then January 27th, 1994. I mentioned last week that Dusty Rhodes seemed to be history as Booker. Where the past week, many people posting rumors that he is indeed gone. Where it has reached me, this is the case. Dusty is out, period. WCW returns to a booking committee consisting of Greg Gagne, Mike Graham, Robert Fuller, and Ric Flair. Dusty will not become the figurehead commissioner as a result of this. Last word is that Bachwinkle will still get that job, debuting at The Clash. Uh, this is the day of the clash. He runs down that card. Bagwell, uh, Jesse Ventura will not be on the show tonight due to other commitments. So Bobby Heenan will be making his debut. Add that to Nick Bockwinkel's debut and hopefully the removal of any dusty finishes and things could get interesting. Colonel Parker will have to wear the chicken suit on this weekend's Saturday show. So we know that ending. Vader also talks about injuring Ric Flair. So we can expect something of that nature to possibly happen. And Johnny B. Bad versus Texas Lassinger, hair versus mask. Also got bumped for the clash will appear on Saturday TV with Tex unmasking. There's a rumor that the Elimination Tag Main event will actually become an Elimination Tag Ascension match with the winner becoming anointed with holy water by a Pope lookalike to join and to officially become a saint. The April pay-per-view will be renamed April Armageddon and debut of the video of all WCW wrestlers pushing a giant rock in front of the ca- in front of a cave and the newest wrestler to WCW, The Undertaker, walking out of the cave in a smoky mist for a surprise match against a saint for an unofficial but newly recognized WCW International <laughs> God Belt. Not to be confused with Gold Belt. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he goes on and on. <laughs> involved. And he says, keep him mind, only a He doesn't make it like he's joking though. Like I don't know if this was really something they had planned, like that Taker was coming in and gonna feud with I don't know. I don't know what's going on. What was the name of the card gonna be? Super Brawl Saturday, what? <laughs> Ascension uh, Armageddon no, was it that's April Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like this is even April Fool. That's uh, garbage right there. Maybe I can only imagine, thing. like, the paper mache rocks and the fucking paper mache caves. Could you imagine? Is, that might be the worst thing he's written so far. <laughs> that is that is dreadful. <laughs> All right, talk is that Undertaker may or may not be in the WF. Meltzer reported that New Japan has expressed interest. Uh, okay, maybe. Can you imagine Undertaker versus Shinny Hashimoto? The Steiners will own a heart move. The Steiners are pulling Owen Hartstyle move and work some weeks with New Japan and the remainder of the year with the WWF. Of course, Owen actually quit the WWF and worked in Japan before returning. It's a sign of the times that Vince allows the Steiners to arrange work in Japan for 10 weeks of the year with no difficulty. They have WWF has taped the Steiners versus Hart Brothers tag match for home video. Of course, it's the awesome match on WrestleFest 94. Yes. Where did he get fat? Kevin Sullivan, who is rumored to be coming into WCW as a new booker and a figurehead commissioner at different times, is in WCW as a wrestler. I don't think we'll see him at the Clash because you imagine them working on the side of Max Payne and Cactus Jack. Also coming to WCW is Dale Wilkes, better known as a Patriot from GWF in All Japan. Dale has actually learned to work in All Japan as tag matches of this part or Eagle are often very good. Tuchel Scorpio and Steve Regal have signed new contracts. There's talk that Medusa or Alundra Blaze will be able to bring in Japanese wrestlers to challenge for her title. Talk about names have been Devil Masami, Akira Hokuto, who will work outside of All Japan most of the year, billing to her retirement in November, and Bull Nakano, 
and Dario Tatino, half of the old Jumping Bomb Angels. Dario can use her old clips. Medusa spent a fair bit of time in Japan starting in January of 89. Kind of just talks about her time there. Talk is uh, this year that Jushin Liger will get handpicked get to handpick the wrestlers involved in the annual Top of the Super Junior Tourney in New Japan. He's been appearing at the shows of other promotions, scouting potential entrants. If this gets pulled off, it could make this year's tourney even more popular on video in North America than the past. Super Brawl still the same, says the original plan was to set up Vader versus Super Shockmaster at this show by having Super Shockmaster be the referee, but the rest, both wrestlers did not like this idea, so it was dropped. I think we can expect Flair to come out as champion, since he has talked about having matches with Sting and Rick Steamboat for the WCW title. Flair has also talked about retiring and becoming a booker. And then Mania, King of the Ring, still in July in Baltimore. So that's it for Herb. Uh, any final thoughts, Scott, before we move on? Yeah, what the fuck was – what Herb did Herb have? I mean – I'm surprised he didn't say, uh, you know, uh, that the CNWA was going to invade uh, <laughs> fucking Super Armageddon or Shockmaster Armageddon or whatever. I don't know where the hell he got all that crap from. I mean, seriously, I mean, we know that that that, you know, Herb gets stuff fed to him, but who fed him that slop? <laughs> I mean, that's, you don't who make knows? that up. I mean, seriously, I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> He's all over the place. He's a hot mess. He did say sure. Liger, though. He did say Liger. He did. He's off the Not Riger. Right. That, that He's finally got the Riger day. bandwagon. Yeah, it ended. Um. All right. So either way, whether he's making shit up, finding it on message boards or has legitimate sources, I think we can all agree that you don't churn these things out if you don't love wrestling. So Herb definitely did it all for love, which is also the number one song in the nation this week in 1994. Rod Stewart, Sting and Brian Adams. Brings us into Scott Criscolo's Vintage Pop Culture Corner. Thank you, uh, Jr. And uh, the first of two uh, Brian Adams songs uh, in the top ten uh, uh, this week. Of course, the All for Love song from the Three Musketeers movie, uh, number one. Uh, ten weeks on the chart and still number one. Uh, pretty power. Not a, actually, not a bad little, uh, you know, if, if there was such a thing as 90s Yacht Rock, this top ten probably would be it. Uh, Hero by Mariah Carey at two. Breathe Again by Tony Braxton at three. The Power of Love by Celine Dion at four. Janet Jackson's again, 15 weeks on the chart. Jeez, at number five, we keep mentioning it. Said I Loved You But I Lied, Herb, by Michael Bolton at six. All That She Wants by Ace of Bass at seven. Please Forgive Me, the other Brian Adams song, this time solo, at eight. Shoop by Salt and Peppa at nine. And, and number 10, Can We Talk by Tevin Campbell. At uh, number 10. It was the last time we heard Tevin Campbell's fucking name. Uh, so there you go. There's your top 10 for the week of uh, January 29th, 1994. Let's go from the uh, radio to the movies. What was the top uh, the top movies uh, in theaters during this week in 1994? Number eight, Jurassic Park. Still cranking. 342 million uh, total and still making money. Uh, it's been out, Jesus, 11 weeks or something. Crazy. 
Iron Will, Disney movie, at seven. Schindler's List, at six. Intersection, Paramount movie, never heard of that, at five. Blink, uh, at four. Grumpy Old Men, at three. Uh, Sounds like this show. I knew it! I knew it! I left the whole open! Too easy. God, I... Oh, yeah, that's softball. I, was, I even waited, like, I even did a three-second beat for that one. I thought about saying and I was like, oh, I, I gotta get it out. It's like a sneeze. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, we go from happy to a not happy movie, uh, Philadelphia. A great movie, but of course, obviously a very sad movie, but number two. And the number one movie for this week, probably one of the more iconic movies of the decade of the 90s, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, fan of that one, uh, Jr. That seems kind of one that would be in your wheelhouse. Of course, yes. It's uh, it's a great movie. It's a classic. It's infamous. Well done. Robert Williams is great in it. Yes, he was. Johnny, any of these? Uh, any of these jump out at you? Nah, that's not, yeah. uh, not in my wheelhouse. Yeah, we got we got two. Yeah, one and yep. done. Though. Yeah, we got two happy movies: Grumpy Old Men or uh, Schindler's List in Philadelphia. That's a that's a those are those are <laughs> at that. Uh, I know. Grumpy the, old uh, Grumpy Old Men was uh, was was good, uh, and the sequel too, Grumpier Old Men. That's right. I think Grumpier Old Men was you trying to get ice cream <laughs> at WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. <laughs> that is true. Son of a bitch. Uh, but I did get it. It was damn delicious. Damn delicious. Um. All right, let's go to a uh, little sports. Of course, uh, I know I'm gonna get a, I know I'm gonna get a who cares out of both these guys. But uh, later that weekend uh, would be WrestleMania, uh, not WrestleMania. It would be Super Bowl 28 in Atlanta. We all know who won, so I'm just gonna leave it at that. Uh, let us go to uh, the uh, hardwood games played on this date, January 27th, 1994. Six games. Uh, let's see. Anybody? Oh, Mr. D'Amato's Knicks, who are, of course, having an amazing season at this point. Out in L.A., squeaking out a 103-101 win over the uh, Clippers. Danny Manning at 39. Wow, I didn't realize he was still healthy enough to score that many points in, in 1994. Uh, let's see. I think that's about it for... Yep, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, the standings, again, as I mentioned, Johnny's Knicks doing very well. 28-11, leading the Atlantic. Uh, the Hawks have a one-game lead over the Bulls in the Central. Uh, JR, your Hornets are 22-19. and 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, Houston leads the Midwest 31 and nine, and that's not even the best record in the, uh, in the league. It's in the Pacific, the Sonics, super, super Sonics 31 and eight out of the gate. Uh, the Lakers are 13 and 26 because Randy is coaching and he's Sonics are all smiles now, but in about four <laughs> months, four months of smiles. <laughs> exactly. I know, right? Shattered. Uh, no hockey games on this date. Uh, no, wait a minute. No, actually, let me uh, scratch that. There were. Let me double check that. The site got a little wonky. Hold on a sec. Uh, I believe, uh, Johnny, in a weird twist, uh, I think your hockey team actually was playing out on the coast as well. I think they were in the other uh, the other building in California. Let me double check this real quick. This The site rebooted. Hold on a sec. Uh, as we prepare for, of course, the big uh, the big spring in the Big Apple uh, for 1994. And we'll document that uh, uh, throughout the... Uh, the spring here uh here we go all right uh let's see so on this date january 27th 1994 uh yeah the rangers johnny were at the forum <laughs> so both your both your so your winter teams were in la on this day the rangers were at the forum and they beat the kings 5-4 in overtime uh whalers and senators ended up playing to a 1-1 tie 
the standings, Rangers, of course, having a great season, 67 points leading the Atlantic. Pittsburgh with 58 points leading the Northeast. The Bruins are in third with 53. Uh, Toronto leading the Central with 65. And Calgary leading the Pacific with 50, uh, with 56 points. And finally, uh, as we always do, let's take a look at the episode of the amazingly awesome Beverly Hills 90210 and what was going on that week. Uh, the episode, which aired the day before, the 26th, was called Heartbreaker. Uh, Brandon, remember we're midway through season four, so it's freshman year at Cal U. Uh, Brandon is chosen as the freshman representative of an elite national task force, which will help to make decisions in Washington regarding America's college campuses. Andrea grapples with her pregnancy and her decision to tell Jesse. I didn't realize the pregnancy was that early in the mm-hmm. in the show, but I guess it makes sense. Cause... Yeah, well, she leaves. I mean, she leaves the same year Dylan does, right? Isn't that all yeah. the same? Was that season? Was that the next season? Six. Season six, yeah. Yeah, and then by the time they show her again later, the, the baby's older. Uh, meanwhile, Nat suffers a heart attack, and the future of the Peach Pit is in jeopardy. David seeks treatment for his drug use while trying to find a substitute for his radio shift and find Steve, who does a bad job. Dylan gets Suzanne a job at the Peach Pit as a waitress and then tries to help out when Nat's cousin Joey wants to sell the Peach Pit due to Nat's failing health. Also, Cindy becomes involved in university life when she takes on a part-time job at CU as a courtship instructor. So there you go. That was the episode of 90210 uh, for that week in 1994 and that uh jr is your pop culture corner of course you can hear more about beverly hills 90210 over the north south connection yes. podcast network 90210 so myself tim cable and a rotating cadre of guests we are nearing the end of season one which is very exciting we never mm-hmm. really thought we'd get that far and i will say stay tuned to future episodes for a big announcement from me and tim uh, regarding that show so oh, okay that is to come Sure, okay. check that out. North South Connection bring you great content each and every day across the spectrum of wrestling, pop culture, sports, and beyond. Also, have Cronoso Daily. It is a quick pod blast that hits every morning at 8 a.m. during the week, which is every weekday. Uh, it's usually 10 to 15 minutes. We're covering every match in Dodi of pay per view and transmitted event history, one at a time. Uh, Mr. D'Amato's one of the uh, rotating group of guests that do that. So all the different hosts, sure. so you get a different voice. And uh, it's a it's a really cool gimmick. Um, so uh, definitely enjoy that. You guys all do a great job. And right now we're into what, Johnny, like late 86, right? We're kind of nearing in on the November 86 Saturday's main event, I believe. Ooh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, we just uh, finished the main event, the big event we just finished. And uh, yep. yeah, we're going to hit the, uh, the last Saturday night's main event of 86 and uh, getting into 87. You know what happens in 87. Lots of stuff. Yes. Uh, just like all the stuff at North South Connection. So check it out uh, and subscribe and rate us and review us. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, same with the rest of the quad. Uh, the Jenny position over at the NOSO every Wednesday, right? Every Wednesday, you get another yep. exciting show from uh, from the Jenny position. Uh, here in the OG, of course, you're listening. The uh, PTB Wrestling uh, Network. Uh, we had a good week last week. Uh, we had a brand new episode of Through the Looking Glass. Uh, Dave and I having a fun time. This past episode, we tried to uh, go through the alternate universe to find the best John Cena heel turn possibilities. Uh, fun episode Dave and I did, so check that out. New episode of Highway to the Impact Zone, uh, NWA Crock and Roll, NWA Saturday Special, YouTube Roulette, 
uh, all, all the fun stuff. So uh, if you're listening to this on uh, Tuesday morning, a uh, new episode of With This Ring will be dropping uh, shortly as well. So check that out. So place to be.poppy.com, the OG. Uh, check it out. All the great stuff that has always been there and some new stuff coming up down the pike also. Um, and if you're looking for some of your favorite shows that are not on at the moment, such as senior video, et cetera, they'll be back. The hosts are taking a hiatus for various reasons, but those shows will be returning very soon. Uh, and of course the PTB pop experience, Andy Atherton and everybody over there with uh, great content as well. So quadipods, you will not find anything better than the internet for anything wrestling pop culture at all. So there you go right there. Uh, all right, JR, I think, uh, we are ready to rock and roll. All right, let's dive in then all the way to 2008. Scott, we are now in our second calendar year here and our revisit yes. back to original timeline. And we're going to kick things off with Royal Rumble 2008. Live January 27th, 2008, from Madison Square Garden, New York City. Tennis 20,798, including Judge Rule on the line with us right now, Mr. D'Amato, live in the building. By rate, 575,000, Johnny. You want to give us a quick uh, talk about the atmosphere in the arena that night? Um, amazing. Um, my triumphant return to uh, MSG, first time since uh, Survivor Series uh, 2002. So uh, it was about time. Uh, that, that we got a pay-per-view back at the at, at the home office. So, uh, just electric atmosphere. That uh, that intro is uh, is just uh, amazing. It, it, fighting against the brawl inside the subway. Mm. It was yes. a history-making event. It was the first ever dirty pay-per-view in high definition. So mm -hmm. big deal there. First dirty pay-per-view at Madison Square Garden in four years. The last being WrestleMania 20, March 04. The 10th time pay-per-view been held at MSG, all of which were big four at this point. Three WrestleManias, three SummerSlams, two Survivor Series, and two Royal Rumbles. January 8th, 08, ECW aired a vignette promoting the debut of Kofi Kingston, who made his debut on January 22nd, ECW. January 11th, 08, SmackDown aired a vignette promoting the debut of the 2007 Diva Contest winner, Eve. Uh, Ken Kennedy got married on January 12th. On January 25th, writer Dave Lagana was fired. He had been with the company for six years, and it was not that long after that, guys, that he started his podcast series that really kind of was one of the earliest wrestling podcasts that really caught on, especially mm -hmm. with insider stuff. And mm -hmm. I think The Law was out there and a couple others, but Lagana was really one of the first who would have different other writers on and, and talk about things from behind the scenes and insider stuff and gave his thoughts on wrestling. So that was a very... A uh, famous show during the early days of wrestling podcasts that would come soon after this. They also had qualifying matches for a rumble that started on December 31st, including Umaga defeating Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Snisky over Drew McIntyre, Hardcore Holly over Trevor Murdoch, John Morrison and The Miz beat Jimmy Wang Yang and Shannon Moore, Hornswoggle and Mick Foley defeated the Highlanders to qualify, <laughs> James Noble over Chuck Palumbo, Cody Rhodes defeated William Regal. 
Carlito and Santino Morella defeated D.H. Smith and Super Crazy. Shawn, and that was at a house show. Shawn Michaels over Trevor Murdoch. Triple H defeated Snitsky, Mark Henry, and William Regal in an over-the-top rope gauntlet. And CM Punk beat Chavo Guerrero to Super Show on January 26th. So all those guys qualified via wins. We also have the debut tonight of a brand-new announcer, mm-hmm. the legendary Mike Adamley, of course, formerly of American Gladiators, I think is where he's probably most known for, uh, was a former NFL player as well. And I think he was a pretty respected name in sports broadcasting. Like, he was definitely known. I uh, did some football announcing after his football career where he was a uh, fifth-round pick, played for three teams, the Chiefs, the Jets, and the Bears. Uh, hosted American Gladiators for seven years. I think it's where, again, most folks knew him from. Uh, I knew him from that, just watching Gladiators and reruns growing up on USA. So I was pretty excited when they announced that he was coming in, uh, for sure. And then he kind of bumped around. It's actually some Olympics coverage and some other random stuff before this run here with WWE, which will last um, uh, for a little while. I think it lasts mm-hmm. into August, pretty much. So uh, a little longer than you may remember. Uh, any thoughts on the arrival? We'll get we'll get to Adam Lee's actual debut in a minute. But any thoughts on them bringing him and John? Like, did you know Adam of Adam Lee before this? Obviously. Oh yeah, definitely from N- NBC Football in the uh, in the eighties. So it, it it was uh, he was a pretty big name for uh, you know for sports fans. Uh, definitely a rec- recognizable name. But uh, obviously, I'm not sure how you how it's going to translate to the sports entertainment world, and uh, we're going to see what the results are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> to say yeah. The least. yeah, yeah. I I remember being like, um, what? I was I remember watching this pay per view with my brother, and uh, I, I he looked at me like, he isn't he like a I mean, well he knew who Mike Adamley was obviously. Mm-hmm. But same thing, like you said, Johnny, we remember him being play-by-play guy for, like, the, you know, B-level, you know, yeah. NFL and NBC games. Uh-huh. He was, like, two notches below, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Dick Enberg and Merlin. But uh, I was like, wow. I mean, I was actually legitimately impressed because I didn't think that Vince would ever attempt to get, like, an actual sports guy. I mean, like, Michael Cole was a news guy and stuff, but, right, like, an actual sports guy, I was a little, uh, I was a little, little, uh, Stunned, pleasantly surprised that that uh, that Vince would bring like a legitimate, you know, announcer guy, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> as Johnny would say, brings some very interesting results. But well, I like the way they went about it, too, like early on. But like you could tell what they were trying to do with him. He wasn't even going to be an announcer. It looks like they were going to try and make him like a correspondent, which was a good role for him. Like he's kind of in the crowd and he sets up the big match. And I think he was meant to bring like a level of. Um, professionalism and composure and say like, okay, here's the special report, Mike Adamley on the scene. And you could tell that doesn't necessarily go very well. Um, and then they try and shift him into commentary off of there and that, that kind of gets kludgy. So, and then we'll, we'll go on from there, but you could tell they were trying to make it work with this guy. It just, for whatever reason was not connecting. Mm. On a side note, JR, before we continue, just to give an update, you were talking about the, the MSG and the building and stuff. This uh, at, as of this date, uh, New York officially broke the tie with California. This is the, the Empire State's 21st pay-per-view. Okay. Which went one ahead of California, who had 20. As you mentioned, first one since since WrestleMania 20. Uh, first one in Manhattan proper mm-hmm. since One Night Stand 06. 
But as you mentioned, the first one in the in the the uh, the office since uh, WrestleMania 20. That's a that's a big gap. Uh, yeah. uh, four years for. But I guess I guess considering that that back to back years, 05 and 06, they had one night stand right. at, at Hammer. Were they already having some problems at this point? Was that a thing yet or no? Oh, with the Dolans? Probably. I don't know, Johnny. I feel like that... it was kind of a thing. And then it was like when they announced this, it was like, oh, OK, like maybe they're kind of back. OK, yeah. again. I mean, they don't come back for three years. Right. Because uh, what Survivor Series 11, because that's the whole one with Punk. And then I don't think they go back. I think that's it. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they go back again. It's been 11 mm-hmm. years since they've had a show. Because then because then Barclays opened and that was that became Vince's sexy place. Yep. Yeah. So. I definitely the Dolan thing, I think, was definitely becoming a problem with the rents and all that was the story anyway, that he was, you know, Dolan was getting a little greedy with the rent and or piece of the merchandise or some something like that. But, yeah, it was definitely becoming a problem <clears throat> in terms of expense. But. All right. Well, let's dive in then to the show itself. Back in MSG, like we said, first time in eight years for Royal Rumble. First time in HD, we get the video uh, package that Johnny mentioned, very heavily based on New York City, hitting all the top matches, including historical footage. Michael Cole welcomes us into our first pay-per-view in HD, and we head to our opening match, which features Ric Flair taking on Montel Vontavious Porter, MVP. Uh, <clears throat> this is also a career-threatening match where if Ric Flair loses, he'll be forced to retire. On the November 26th, 07 Raw in Charlotte, Flair said he had interests outside of wrestling and knew his career wouldn't go on forever. He said he would never retire unless he died in the ring. Vince McMahon came out and said he wanted Flair to be part of the WWE as long as he kept winning, but the first time he loses a match, they would force him into retirement. Flair defeated WWE champion Randy Orton in a non-title match that evening with a low blow, a roll-up, and holding his tights. On December 17th, Flair beat Omaga. On December 31st, Flair defeated Triple H by disqualification when William Regal got involved. On January 4th, SmackDown, MVP was on the phone after losing a matching. He would retire Flair to it in an attempt to shatter the glass ceiling. And on January 11th, the match with MVP and Flair was officially announced. So we've talked a lot about MVP, who we've really been into here uh, in 07 into 08. And it's a big match to open us up. Flair struts out. Cole talks about this as Flair's... Uh, with the location of Flair's first match and, and MSG 35 years ago and how it could all end tonight here now in the same spot. Coaches with Cole, they continue to talk up the importance of this. Flair cuts a promo on his history of wrestling and MSG, noting his first match in 76. Thanks to fans for their respect, but he gets cut off by MVP's music, which is just more great heel work by him to show the great level of disrespect. Uh, and it's a big spot for MVP who steps up. He's still U.S. champion, has a chance to end Flair's career. Controls early, he's feeling himself, talking all kinds of shit. He knows he can make history. Flair comes firing back. The crowd is all over him, wooing and cheering all the offense. MVP turns the tide with a tight Yakuza kick and starts to go for pin covers to end, try and end the career. MVP pushes through some Flair comeback attempts. He works the neck and uh, with some submission holes and basic strikes. The crowd's all over MVP. Uh, Flair goes to the figure four, but MVP dodges it. We get some chops and punch trading as Flair's is trying to find any space he can, but MVP won't let him catch his breath. Hits another Yakuza kick for a good fall, near fall, but Flair gets the ropes despite the ref counting three. Ref waves it off and we get restarted. We get some more good flow here as Flair gets a lightning flash uh, near fall, but MVP always bounces back and regains control. MVP hits a nice superplex for two as he ups the pressure. Flair chops his way back into things, but MVP cracks the neck and cuts him off again. 
Ric Flair uh, blocks a playmaker, twists into the figure four, and gets a clean tap-out victory as he keeps his career alive. A really fun opener. A uh, crowd that was super invested thanks to the stipulation, a natural flow in chemistry. MVP has come so far in offense. His swagger drips through all these matches. Flair did Flair things. He hung and hung and hung, found his window, hooks to figure four. One last one on pay-per-view, perhaps. We'll see if he gets any more figure four wins, but he sneaks one in here. And no shame for MVP losing here at all. It does, it does not hurt him in the least, given the storyline and stipulation and everything else going on. So Sky went three stars on this. It was a really fun opener. And, you know, where do we see things headed with Flair? Like, is this going to be, you know, is this going to lead to his retirement at this point, you're thinking? Or are you feeling like they're going to find a way out of this and he's just going to keep winning for a while? Or did you have a feeling that we're headed toward Mania? Uh, three and a quarter for me uh, for this one. Uh, let me uh, check the match time while that's loading. Um, I think we were definitely heading towards towards uh, Mania. Um, I. I knew that uh, that the match was not was going to be very good. MVP earned this shot because, you know, this storyline actually is a big deal. And it's, you know, we always as we do every year, we always have the uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the secondary feud. That's a big deal. Usually involves Sean because he doesn't usually go after titles. And we'll get to him down the line. Um, 748 your match time. So perfect length. Didn't overstate its welcome. Mm-hmm. Flair is is dialed in right now. Because, and we've talked about it, you know, he's no spring chicken, but he's still working within his means. And, and, uh, I, I think that, that a guy like MVP, um, you know, who can, who doesn't have a problem kind of letting the older dance partner kind of, kind of lead the way. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, crowd was hot. I mean, big building again, Pete Sanchez, (laughs) you know, the last, Mm -hmm. uh, Flair, you know, pay-per-view, a big match. Obviously, he's been at MSG. We documented a few of the matches, JR, in the last uh, go-round. Um, but I, I thought the match was great. I was digging the storyline. You know, obviously very emotion, very invested in it. He's one of my favorite guys ever. Um, and I also feel like this is a lot of rewarding for guys that have worked their tails off throughout 07. I don't know why we get the opponent we do at uh, the next pay-per-view, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks, but I think MVP is obviously still U- U.S. champion, still deserved a high-profile singles match on a show that doesn't have a ton of singles matches. So I think that's a reward for MVP. But I thought the match was fun, Johnny. Uh, I'm, how was the energy that night for that match? Were, were people still into Flair? Um, I enjoyed the match a lot, obviously being flair but what what were your thoughts and how was the uh the, the building energy during that match oh definitely a, a perfect uh, choice for the opener uh crowd was wooing uh, definitely uh, definitely hot for flair uh, and uh we'll see during the night they were pretty much hot for just about everything uh, home run crowd here but uh they, they uh they gave a lot to cheer about but uh, the, the thing with John, uh, and and it goes back to I, I guess probably that's that's why they went away from the pay per views was uh, the entrance was uh, so short, mm-hmm. uh, especially after you know we've seen uh, many rumbles since then where we're used to these elaborate uh, entrances where it takes like you know just five minutes to, just to get to down there and and here it, it's real short I guess because you know, they, they don't want to lop off uh, uh, too much of the uh, entrance because uh, you know they want to s- squeeze as many uh, people in there. And now we see with these elaborate stages, they have to uh, cut down, uh, you know, the house by about 30% just to, you know, to, to fit everything. So, you know, MSG is about the money. So 
they, they made it kind of short there. But uh, a, a great near fall, and uh, and the little nature caught the foot on the ropes uh, after he counted three by mistake. Uh, that that was uh, some good drama there. And uh, uh, Cole and uh, Coach, uh, not, not fans of them, but but during this match they were above average. They they did an excellent job, really getting over the career-ending aspect and how how Flair's career could end uh, at any time after the match. So solid three stars. Hmm. All right, we go backstage where Vince is talking to Hornswoggle about the luck of the Irish here at Madison Square Garden, including his grandfather, his father, and his other family members who've had success. He says Hornswoggle's his only bastard son and that the Royal Rumble is every man for himself. He can't trust anybody, including Finley. But Vince expects Hornswoggle to win tonight. Finley comes in and Vince recaps what he talked about. Finley doesn't appreciate the insinuation, but Vince says Finley can't trust the little guy either, and Finley carries him out. We then get Jaron King to talk about their XFL ties to our new interviewer. Of course, we didn't mention that earlier, where Mike Adam is also an announcer for the XFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is in the crowd. He talks about seeing Ric Flair's first match in MSG in 1976. <laughs> it tries to hype the crowd. They're silent. Uh, he then sets up the video package for our next match, which is Chris Jericho and JBL. I think that's what uh, where Adam he went wrong. There. I, th- I think they were, I think the crowd knew it was full of shit that he wasn't at the uh, he wasn't there for Flair's <laughs> first match. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he was meant to. Maybe many watched it on tape earlier in the day. You know, just yeah. a, little, a little fudging the story. Uh, New Yorkers can, can smell out bullshit. Uh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. This, the next match, our feud began in Armageddon. We talked about that when JBL interfered in Chris Jericho's match with Randy Orton. The next night of Raw, Jericho stated to JBL appeared via satellite that he was no longer a wrestling god, just a wrestling afterthought. On that week's SmackDown, JBL gave a farewell speech as color commentator and announced he'd be returning to active wrestling on Raw and returned to the ring for the first time in five years on January, on December 31st. During an interview segment on Raw, he uh, J- was interrupted by Chris Jericho and they brawled her on ringside. On January 7th, Jericho was matched up in a Raw roulette match against JBL and Snitsky. The three fought to a no contest and a handicap match at around the three-minute mark when JBL tied a Mike Cable around Jericho's neck, dragged him to the entrance stage, and eventually tied the cable to a scaffold until referees and officials ordered him backstage. Jericho suffered a bruised larynx, uh, uh, burns around his neck, and had difficulty speaking for a week. And it was a pretty hot angle. It was actually well done. Um, I remember the time being a little disappointing because I thought JBL was so good on commentary. I thought there was more benefit to him in that role than there was in the ring. But he gets off to a pretty good start with this feud, with the attack on Raw. One and a half years, he was on the sidelines, right into this intense feud. Jericho still trying to get his sea legs back. We talked about that Armageddon match, which was kind of disappointing. He does get a good pop here. Uh, No limo for JBL, of course, due to the limited space that Johnny just mentioned in the entranceway. Jericho shows his anger. He goes right at JBL, but JBL's playing it cool. Just kind of gives him these dead eyes and keeps backing to the ropes and to the corner for clean breaks, trying to troll Jericho before he gets in a cheap shot. Jericho just shrugs that off and is all over him. JBL keeps trying to cover up and get out of dodge, but Jericho's all over him. Gets the walls of Jericho, but JBL gets the ropes and breaks it. Jericho keeps bringing the heat, hitting a baseball side and attacking him on the floor. JBL comes back with a clothesline on the, across the top rope to take over. Starts getting, getting into a hard-hitting attack on the neck, trying to focus on the injured windpipe. Jericho selling uh, is on point here all through this. JBL really mixes in some good offense. Cranks a sleeper. He's really trying to grind the pace down. Cuts off a comeback with a nice big boot as we edge to the back end of the match. 
Outside, JBL shoves Jericho to the post and gets sliced wide open, bleeding everywhere. JBL pounces and pounds on the cut with fists and boots. Jericho starts to push back into control, but the crowd is actually kind of split on him here as they start to boo him. Jericho picks up the pace, and a clothesline takes them both to the floor. There's blood dripping everywhere. Outside the ring, Jericho murders JBL with a chair shot to the face and gets a disqualification, which I did not see coming at all. Uh, Jericho throws a chair at JBL, chokes him with a cable wire, hanging him over the top rope as payback. Jericho stands on the table, chokes JBL with the cord, leaving, uh, and then he's up standing blood-soaked and getting his vengeance in this attack. Jericho leaves, JBL's music hits, and he's announced the winner. He tries to celebrate while also dying, which is kind of funny. Uh, the match itself I found to be kind of boring. Uh, the back end was good with the spectacle of the bloody, angry Jericho just destroying JBL. Uh, it was weird to me, and John, maybe you can have some insight here, like why the crowd is so split on Jericho. But it's clear he's got some kinks to work out, figuring out who he's going to be in this run. It's tough to take the L, given he had the same type of loss at Armageddon DQ. Uh, he does leave on top, and it was kind of on his terms with the chair shot. But given we just saw a Jericho DQ on pay-per-view, I think I just would have had, honestly, maybe JBL pin him, and then Jericho beats the shit out of him after. Or just have Jericho beat him. Like, who cares? It's JBL. He's fine. He'll bounce back. It's like we need to protect him. Uh, so Johnny went two and three quarters, and like... At this point, you thinking, like, is there a concern that Jericho's mojo is gone? Or do we know it's just kind of rust and he'll get back there eventually? Yeah, it was uh, the, the crowd was kind of tepid because, uh, you know, a few months earlier, he, Jericho was real hot. And he had and where people thought that he had a little legitimate chance to to win the title from Wharton. And uh, kind of how they transitioned to this was a little uh, wonky how. Uh, you know, Jay JBL just uh, you know suddenly comes out you know from the broadcast booth to 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 interfere in that in the in that Orton match where, mm-hmm. where Jericho had him beat. So and it, so so it's kind of like a step down. So it's like Jericho he had Orton beat in that match and only lost from DQ and and now he gives up the chase. You know, no more title matches just just to kind of feud with with JBL who hasn't even been wrestling uh, for the last couple of years. So. And, there's there's really some issues there as far as uh, you know an intriguing uh, feud, but uh, the uh, I, I do like the end where he did kind of get a measure of revenge because the the match result itself didn't really mean anything. It wasn't you know there was no titles. Uh, none of these guys had titles at stake, so he he did uh, get a, a you know measure of revenge. And that was the only time mm-hmm. the crowd really perked perked up when he was really uh, sinking in the uh, you know the choke with the cable and. and where the way they ramped up the violence on this, that, that was uh, pretty much the, you know when the crowd was at its peak. So, but uh, otherwise, uh, kind of a disappointing two stars. Yeah, I gave it two and a half. Uh, your time uh, nine twenty three felt longer. Uh, I agree that um, I'm I'm I agree with Johnny that that I feel like I felt like all along, even even. Um, when he came back that night after Survivor Series to immediately throw him mm-hmm. into a title match at all at Armageddon, then the match be eh, okay. Then JBL does this bizarre run in, and then we that's it. And now we just get this, and now we get another bizarre. Like, what's with all these DQs? None of this is making any sense. Well, it's and- a weird approach, too. If you're bringing JBL back and Jericho's just back, like, you're obviously not going to want to beat either guy. So it's just an odd feud for both guys. Like if you're going to bring JBL back, just figure something else out. And there right. had to be another heel 
Jericho could feud with here. Um, you have a bunch of mid-card guys. Like, if you want to have him slowly work his way up into this that you could have found, for sure. So, it just, it felt weird to me that, like, you obviously have two guys you want to, if you feel like you need to protect because they're both getting him back into action, why are we matching them with each other? Right, exactly. And, and yeah, I, I was not a fan of the match. I thought the match was a little, little slow and plotting. And the crowd definitely, I agree with Johnny, the crowd definitely, uh, including him, uh, seemed to kind of, flatten a little bit um because I, I i i think we're not sure what to do with jericho at this point like what what is his uh role right now i mean the, the the roster is in pretty solid shape it's a good addition but in what way and i think it obviously it takes him a few months for to figure that out and we'll document that uh, but uh I, I was i was not impressed with the the pacing and uh I don't know why JBL's coming back to begin with. I don't know why he would have even, I mean, I don't know if it was injury or whatever, but yeah, I think it was his back. Why he stepped away at six, but, um, I get why he's coming back. I can see why they think they want, you know, another, um, guy that can like be an upper mid card floater to the main event. And we'll see that they use him in a pretty high profile spot. So, right. I get it. I just, it's just an odd feud for two guys that you, you clearly want to protect. So I just don't know why we went this way. We, yeah, you could have found some other way to have Jericho get DQ'd at Armageddon and then give him, just put him in the rumble here and buy some time as you figure things out too. Like you don't have to have him in a match. Um, No, not at all. Like you get a guy like, like Kane who's doing nothing. Like why give him to JBL? You know, like there's guys out there you could have easily used, um, with these dudes, like I mean, isn't freaking like Shelton Benjamin still around? Like I mean, like this guy's a jerk who yeah. could have little issues with that. Um, you could have killed some time and have him get a clean win. So it just it just feels like you, neither guy's off to a, the best start here with this comeback. The the beatdown of Raw was good, but right, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Two and a half for me. Uh, again, the match time was nine twenty three, but it felt longer, and that's not a good thing. Uh, yeah, and it kind of made I don't know, kind of made no sense, but. All right, Ashley. I, I Mas- how, yeah, uh, one more thing. I loved how Jr. was uh, emphasizing the Jericho's injured neck and and his larynx. He said larynx. Mm-hmm. Uh, larynx. Larynx. Yeah. <laughs> larynx. <laughs> call back to uh, Ricky Steamboat there. Yep. That's right. <laughs> All right, Ashley Masero goes to Maria's locker room, but Santino comes out and mm. blocks her because she's preparing for the first ever HD kiss cam. He says Maria doesn't say no to anything or anyone. But Ashley takes a shot at him. He says, Maria's not interested in Ashley or her booby magazine. And he <laughs> wants to vote her out of duty, just like she was voted out of Survivor. So kind of classic Santino here. Yeah. Um, doing his thing with Maria. We can add for WrestleMania 24, now 63 days away. Then have Cole and Johnny the Coachman, who's his uh, partner here. We didn't talk about that off the top, but the coach is in with JBL in action. So he's our SmackDown color guy. Uh, we plug Airborne for our pay-per-view theme stand-up for rock and roll. It brings us to our video package for Edge defending his World Heavyweight title against Rey Mysterio. Mysterio won a Beat the Clock challenge on January 4th, defeating Edge within 90 seconds or with 90 seconds to go to secure an opportunity for this match at the Rumble. On January 11th, Vicky Guerrero introduced Mysterio as the new number one contender. Mysterio said he cared about Vicky and her family despite her big relationship with Edge. Vicky said Eddie would want her to move on that she was still young enough to have more children and Edge would be the perfect father figure. 
Edge came to the ring and argued with Mysterio until Chavo Guerrero Jr. came out. Chavo told Ray to mind his own business and that the Guerrero family is disgusted by Vicky's actions. Vicky lashed out at both Mysterio and Chavo and ordered them to face each other later in the night. After Mysterio won, Edge, who had been doing commentary, attacked Mysterio along with his running buddies, Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. So Edge is really starting to put together a little bit of a group here. We'll see where things go with Chavo. But he's all in with Vicky. Uh, he's taking control of SmackDown. Ray's in the mat in the mix here. Really, uh, his first title match since he lost it to JBL. Uh, been out, of course, with the injury, working his way back. Edge is out solo at first. He's feeling himself. He's kind of in this new kingpin role where he's got all the political power on SmackDown. We see Teddy Long wheels out Vicky Guerrero, who's in a wheelchair, so she can watch the match. Edge heads her out as well. The deck stacked in his favor, as always. We get a good pop for Ray. He was very slow and stoic tonight, focused on the gold. They eased in Edge using his size early on, with Ray punching back. The crowd is anti-Ray immediately, all boos for his offense. We get a loud Let's Go Edge chant. Edge tries to slow things down, but Ray keeps pushing the pace. The Edge heads go to the jump Ray on the floor. They get thrown outside, and then they get thrown out by the ref, taking the advantage away. Ray takes to the air, and the crowd is just not happy at all. Edge takes a shot to the knee to cut him off and takes over from there. The speed slows down as Edge works his pace to pick apart the leg. He cranks on it, keeps taking shots whenever Ray tries to come back. Cole reminds us that Ray just missed 10 months due to the knee injury. You get a good spot where Edge is in the 619 position, but Ray is so slow hobbling that Edge has a nice power slam to counter it. Keeps working the leg over. Ray gets into some serious trouble. He's really selling that leg. Edge tries to tear off the knee brace, but Ray kicks free and tries to mount a comeback, but he's too slow. Ray pieces it together and tries as many pin covers as possible, trying to end it while he has a chance. We get a good near fall on a top rope double stomp by Ray, which is a risk, but he took it and it bangs up his knee even more. Edge keeps hanging on as we get a kind of a slow closing stretch due to the injury. Edge cuts Ray down with a stiff boot to the face, but Ray ducks a spear, comes rumbling back with a 619 and a top rope splash. But Vicky breaks up the pin as she jumps out of the wheelchair and grabs the ref. Ray tries another 619, but Edge this time pulls Vicky between them. She takes the kick, and Edge spears Ray as he comes off the top to retain his title. A very good match, but limited due to the crowd being wishy-washy on Ray. The slow story, uh, the story slowed down the offense as well, but it was still very well worked and organized. They had a good finish with Vicky paying off for Edge yet again. Uh, a fine match, Scott, that really never got cooking, uh, whether it was the, the story of the match with the knee or just the chemistry between them. Uh, I ended up going three and a quarter. And what did you think of the match? And do you think this is the best way to position Edge on SmackDown as like this kind of kingpin type player? Uh, I gave it three. Uh, I think I'm being a little generous. Your match time was 1234. Um I don't like these two together, uh, which is funny because six years earlier when they were part of the SmackDown six, I did. But I, I didn't like the I didn't like the the, the, the chemistry between them. Um, I don't think anybody finds Ray believable as a world title contender anymore. So mm -hmm. I think I think the garden crowd really didn't give a shit. Um, do I like Edge in this position? Absolutely. Uh, because you've got Taker and Batista battling still on SmackDown and even though they're both faces, but uh, edge being like the scumbag, pol you know, politicker, you know, to get, you know, you know that he probably has no interest physically in, in Vicky Guerrero, but he's doing it because he, he's trying to get, you know, it's, it's perfect. It's good heel work for him. 
So I think it's great. I think it's great mm-hmm. for SmackDown. The match, I could see why, and, and obviously Johnny can expound on this being there. I could see why the crowd uh, kind of tanked on this because a little bit on Ray, because I just don't think he's believable as a contender anymore. Yeah. And and the, it, milking the Eddie thing, I mean, it's been, you know, three years now. I think we can move on. Uh, I just, I don't think anybody like falls for it anymore. I don't think anybody really cares. I mean, they care about Eddie. They'll miss him forever as we do mm-hmm. now. But I don't think anybody wants to see it in a storyline anymore. I think it's time to move on. Nobody really cares about Chavo, <laughs> which we'll get it more into in, in a couple weeks. So I feel like, Johnny, that like people really just didn't care about about Ray. I think they like Edge as the heel champ. But um, were you feeling that, obviously, in the crowd and the, 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 the you know, intense Ray dislike? Yeah, it took about, uh, about a minute into the match. Uh... I guess uh, in New Yorkers uh, think they're more sophisticated, or uh, they're they're mostly just uh, it's mostly just about being size queens, kind of like cowboy. Uh, they don't like the little guys. Uh, you know, they were big on Sid, and uh, they, they they like the big guys, and, and also the you know the East Coast West Coast thing. You know, Ray with the West Coast, the six one nine, and and the six one nine, the move itself, although visually uh, appealing, it it takes a lot of uh, uh, suspension of uh, disbelief. Uh, you know, for the opponent to to position himself perfectly for for that move, so that, that does a lot. And you can see you can see Ray was was probably kind of a little, little psyched out by the by the crowd hate too. So uh, that 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 was a uh, that was a main story of this match. How they uh, you know went heavy for the heel, but uh, I, I gave it three stars, and I, I thought the ending was a uh, perfection uh, with the with Vicky uh, blocking the six one nine, and then. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and then hit the edge hitting that six spear. I, I thought that ending was uh, was perfection. That was, that was a, a beautiful ending. Yeah, it was. Uh, the ending was really good. And again, like yeah. I like the the story of the match was good too. It just felt like the wrong setting to work like a slow focused match on the knee of Ray. Like you want to see Ray, you want to see him fly, fly around. Like this this should have been a much more hectic pace of this match. I think. I just think it was like the wrong place and time on the short rumble card. You're not getting a lot of singles matches to have that. These two guys like grind out a knee based match. Um, I think it was just like the wrong take on the approach, but um, I do like to finish John. I'm with you and edges uh, team pays dividends again. Mm. All right. Backstage, Mr. Kennedy is trolling Ric Flair in the locker room. As Flair comes out of the shower, Shawn Michaels comes in to observe, but Kennedy cuts him off and heads out. Flair and Sean kind of laugh, and they say, hey, what, what is it with these loud, brash, platinum-haired wrestlers? Flair knows Sean will win the Rumble tonight, but in comes Batista. He hugs Flair. In comes Hunter as well. Gets a big pop. Uh, Hunter tells Flair to put his pants on. Hunter <laughs> says the best man will win tonight, and we get a big stare down. And then Sean plugs his new shirt, and Triple H says he hates shilling. So I, I kind of like this. I thought it was a fun little tongue-in-cheek segment with with these guys taking shots with the brash blonde wrestlers and the oh i hate mm. you know selling merch when that's all they ever do so that's a pretty good tongue-in-cheek yeah flare with the towel around his waist that was the funniest part <coughs> yeah some who is to walk out of the shower <laughs> all right out comes maria to host the first ever royal rumble kiss cam and king is way too excited for this 
Uh, Ashley comes out and tells Maria she got a call from Hugh Hefner asking if Maria would pose for Playboy. Before she can answer, out comes Santino to a pop, and with him is someone with a blanket over them. Santino says nobody wants to see Maria naked, and that, of course, the fans would cheer because they're from New York and they have nothing else to cheer. He mocks the uh, mosquito incident at the Yankees uh, from the previous playoffs with the Indians. Notorious sleep at the wheel. Santino shits on the Giants as well. Says they'll choke in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Good heat there. And, of course, very incorrect to get a big Giants champ. Ashley asks again, and Maria asks the fans, and they're all in on Playboy. Santino says the fans are sheep. They would cheer if she asked if they wanted hepatitis. He brings a special friend in the, his special friend in the ring and says, since the people like to see boobies, he has a surprise. He pulls off the sheet, and we see a fat dude with a Patriots cutoff and tiny 19-0 underwear dancing around. Not uh, official if that was Cowboy Senior or not. Ashley then slaps the fat dude <laughs> around. Santino here was great as always. The rest is whatever. Um, it's silly stuff, right? I mean, this is the Playboy era. Uh, they treat it like it's WrestleMania. Like, if you get chosen for Playboy, it's like the biggest thing in the world. It's just where we're at with this whole thing. Um, so, John, what did you think of this? And uh, how was your reaction uh, live trolling the Giants fans a week before the Super Bowl? Uh, they, they kind of uh, they really pumped the crowd up a big uh, Let's Go Giants uh, uh, chant. Uh, Santino got him got him good fight up there. But there's a notice on the uh, on the kiss cam. Um, the, the second guy, it looked like, uh, uh, you know, he really went for it. And uh, mm-hmm. he, he grabbed the girl's head, but it kind of looked like he was copping a field there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looked like he was grabbing some titty there, but I think he was just grabbing the <laughs> head. But yeah, he really went for it there. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, the segment was going great until uh, Big Dick Johnson. Uh, Santino mm-hmm. was on fire. I love, uh, ooh, a mosquito. Let's lose the playoffs. <laughs> I know you didn't like that, but that mm-hmm. was a, a classic. Uh, yeah, he was. Re- he really had the crowd going, but then uh, yeah, that killed it though with uh, Big Dick Johnson and Ashley with the uh, the rubber chickens and uh, ah, poor Ashley, so sad. It's sad seeing her. Mm. I agree, Johnny. I actually was a little sad seeing her yeah. myself. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Big Dick coming out with the fucking Brady thing. It's uh, how how uh, uh, serendipitous. <laughs> I totally forgot. I'm like, why is he wearing a page? It hit. It didn't hit me for a minute uh, when I was watching it the other day. And then I'm like, what the fuck is he wearing page? Oh yeah. shit! He had a 19 and 0 on his uh, on his ass. Wow, that's yeah. right. Yep. <laughs> oh, 18 and oh no. <laughs> Oh my god, that was funny. Yeah, it's a good segment. You know, you gotta do the the sports shit. That's a good. It's a good way to to juice the crowd up after a couple of, you know, I don't say substandard matches, but they were a little flat in those couple in those middle matches. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it works out. It worked out. It was a fun segment. Good time killer. A week later would be the happiest I've ever seen. Mr. Andrew Flanagan <laughs> after that Super Bowl. Yes, that was the was right right there with him. All right, we get our WrestleMania 24 ad with Kelly and Mae Young as lifeguards. We then have Mike Adderley in the crowd, and here it is, uh, where he hypes up the of title match. Uh, for us, though, it was overdubbed in the Peacock, but I think anyone who's <laughs> anyone knows the infamous moment where he calls Jeff Hardy, Jeff Harvey. And that mm-hmm. poor slip-up would uh, end up pretty much costing him his custodian front. Uh, <laughs> he just becomes a bit of a, a joke after this. It becomes an instant meme before memes were a thing. Uh, everyone would joke about the Jeff Harvey only to be eclipsed later by, uh, Summerfest a couple of years later. <laughs> yes. That's another but yeah. Jeremy Piven, of course. Yeah. All right. We then get our video hype package for our dirty F title match, which is, uh, the red hot Randy Orton being challenged by Jeff Hardy. Who's really on the come up here. 
Uh, we saw at Armageddon where Hardy defeated Triple H to earn this title shot. On the last Raw of 07, Hardy and Orton had a face-to-face confrontation. Orton was set to RKO Hardy, but Hardy countered to hit a twist of fate. Later that night, during Hardy's match with Santino Morella, Orton appeared on the Titantron, said he had kicked Jeff's brother's mat where his appendix used to be and punted him in the head. On January 14th, Raw, Hardy faced Orton with his icy belt on the line. As soon as the bell rang, Orton got DQ'd for giving a low blow. He tried to hit RKO on the concrete floor, but Hardy recovered and they brawled up the ramp, with Hardy backdropping Orton onto the arena floor, going up the 30-foot Raw set and Swanton bombing off the side of it onto Orton. The following week, Hardy and Orton were scheduled to shake hands and said Hardy shook the hand of Lillian Garcia, Jerry Lawler, and Jim Ross and some fans and said those are people he respected more then Orton and Orton then ordered Hardy to shake his hand, but Hardy gave him a twist of fate instead. So lots going on there. Let's go into our match. Big spot for Hardy is at a huge rise at the end of 07 on the verge of becoming the guy. Orton is on the run of a lifetime as well. He's been fantastic. Breath of fresh air. And uh, this is a cool title match with two brand new, you know, top guys. We get a big pop as Jeff dances out. Still the IC champion. Really big push for him. Orton saunters out as well, dripping with confidence. Gets some good buzz going. Jarrett wonders what it would mean if Hardy could pull this off. We get an early tie-up and stalemate as the crowd is loudly backing Jeff. Gets into control as King says this is the new HD era and Hardy can lead us into it. Jeff unloads a nice flurry for two as he's trying to work at this chaotic pace. Orton slugs away and talks shit to the crowd, but Hardy comes right back, takes to the air. Driving Orton to the barricade with a leaping baseball slide. Orton takes an awesome bump, just looking dead after that. Hardy's flying all around the ring, trying to take advantage of the day's champion. Uh, the hectic pace eventually backfires as Orton knocks Hardy to the floor after he tried a slingshot. We get a nice suplex on the floor by Orton. King and Jarrett have been great throughout this match, talking up all the implications. Orton starts his precision offense back in the ring, his chokes, his heavy knee shots, grinding down Hardy. Who comes back and knocks Orton to the floor. He goes right back to the air with a clothesline off the apron. Back in the ring, Orton throws Hardy to the post, wraps him up, and smothers him. Hardy tries a comeback, but Orton snaps him off with a power slam and gets into a tight chin lock. Hardy breaks free and battles back. It's two and a whisper in the wind. The pace really picks up for here as Hardy's trying to go for the kill shot. Takes Orton down, heads up top, but Orton rolls to the apron to avoid the swanton. So Hardy drop kicks him, goes up top, flies into Orton with a moonsault as the crowd is rocking. Back inside, Hardy goes for a twist of fate, but Orton snap counters into the RKO and picks up the clean win. Awesome finish. Completely protected Hardy as well because the RKO out of nowhere. Uh, I thought this was a great match. <clears throat> had awesome pacing. The dichotomy of the two guys was so good with Orton just trying to grind and maul and Hardy keep trying to go to the air and take his risks. He unloaded all his offense and comes up just short. Orton was great as always. Gets a tight win. Hardy looked strong in the loss and was neck and neck with Orton the whole way. Johnny went four stars on this. I thought it was a great match. Uh, this is what we needed from Ray and Edge, right? Like Ray going to the air, trying to take risks with Edge, trying to grind him down. Uh, and do you think coming out of this, is Hardy already a made man, or does he need to win the big one to get there? No, Hardy is definitely, definitely made already. And uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Excellent. A solid three and a half. And uh, as, as far as the crowd, it could have went the, the same way as uh, Edge and Ray. Because at the mm-hmm. beginning, there was like some dueling chants. Uh, you know, let's go, let's go, Hardy, let's go, Orton. But uh, but Orton did a masterful job of uh, of turning the crowd and you know and playing the heel that he that he should that he should be. And uh, he he definitely uh definitely turned him in, in you know in the right way. 
And uh, that that was a great spot where Jeff did the sliding uh, drop kick and and Norton, uh, you know, like like cracked his head against the wall and uh, he swung mm-hmm. his uh, head over like like he had just cracked his neck. That was a that was, was a so beautiful good. spot. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, after yeah, reiterate reiterate what you said that how Jr. and King were were so awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how they were getting Norton over as uh, as an all time uh, great and an all time champ. Uh, so really good job by them, Scotty. Yeah, I gave this four stars. Uh, your time was fourteen oh three, so they actually got a little more time than uh, the Jr. than uh, Edge and uh, Ray did. Uh, I love this match. I'm I'm all. I mean, I've always liked them anyway. But there this this Reese this uh, run right now. Uh, I'm loving Orton. I mean, this this guy gets it. He gets it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he understands what his role is now. Um, he's doing a good job, and we'll talk more about him and another guy. Uh, in two weeks, um, making sure that he stays hated. He doesn't want to be loved because his yeah. opponent is less loved. And Johnny hit the nail on the head. Like, not everybody loves Jeff Hardy. I was never always the biggest Jeff Hardy fan, but, um, uh, but obviously he's you know he's the fan favorite a, a lot of time. But even those that don't like Jeff normally got behind him as the match progressed because Orton's just that good at being a fucking jerk off. I mean, that's right. He's just good at it. And I love the pacing of this match. Orton is such a, a stalker like that. And obviously that's where he gets his, obviously his multiple mm-hmm. names, apex predator and the Viper. He, he just stalks like the gangly arms and the long legs. And he, you know, and, and he mind fucked Jeff for a lot of that match. Uh, it's okay to think that Jeff Hardy's not ready yet, it's okay because, you know, this is new for him. Yeah, you know, when you're a singles wrestler, you're in uh, intercontinental title feuds, and that that's fine, but this is the big time. I mean, they didn't want... They were trying to do a very difficult job of making sure that the win over Triple H and Armageddon was not a fluke. And... But you don't want Orton to lose because obviously you have things planned over the right. next couple of months. So it was probably not easy to try to sculpt that match to make it to make sure that Jeff comes out still looking good. But Orton wins. And that's what makes Orton's finisher so great. Like anybody else, Jeff would have probably looked like a boob. But because because Orton's finisher, like the stunner used to be back in the day, because Orton's finisher could literally come at any moment. Any babyface or heel, but in this case, babyface he wrestles will never look bad because you never know when he could snap that sucker off and you're done. And I just I loved the the way that that story wove throughout with Jeff trying to out hustle Orton without trying to get himself in a position of getting RKO'd. And then at the end, he just, you know, he ran out of. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Orton found the opening, took it, and won the t- and won retained his title. I gave it four stars. I'm looking forward to continuing to see Orton throughout the year and seeing him as champion. He's doing an amazing job of maintaining his heel energy, uh, knowing that the, a lot of the guys in the crowd are big fans of his. So. He's he's doing a pretty good job of of keeping that heel energy high, even when there's definitely a a cachet of diehard Orton fans. But I thought it was a great match. I think Jeff is at the upper echelon. Um, 
and it's because he he came that close. And and it's fortunate that you have a guy like Orton who hits that kind of finisher that you can always make a baby face still look good even in losing. So uh, just a fantastic match. And Orton's on fire right now. Yeah, I mean, he's been tremendous this whole back end. So this is a really cool match, a fresh match, and two guys we've really been impressed with yes. down the back end of 07. Yes. All right, Joey and Styles and Taz reset things and tee up our Royal Rumble match. Taz says the last seven Rumble winners have won the world title at WrestleMania. We get our classic Rumble by the numbers video. And then we get going. Closing the night in MSG with the Rumble match. Hard to be better than this. Michael Buffer is here for a guest spot, and he's adding the hype and importance. But that was a great get. Really plays up to let's get ready to Rumble. And, of course, he was in the ads as well uh, in the subway car. Leading up to this, our number one entrance this year is The Undertaker. After winning last year at number 30, so cool little touch there. We get the full entrance and MSG with Michael Buffer introducing him, probably for the only time in his career, I would think. So that was kind of neat. Nice touch as well as number two is Shawn Michaels, which plays off the end of last year's Rumble match. Classic battle with the two of them being the finalists. Big pop for that. All six announcers are plugged in to call this match as well. We get a pretty balanced opening segment with them, too. Uh, we get a couple of teases, but nothing substantial until Santino Morella's in at number three. He's immediately in the soup as Sean hits Sweet Chin Music and Undertaker throws him out. Back to Taker and Sean trading blows until Great Khali comes in at number four to ooze from the crowd. Coming off his career years, he stalks out. Taker tries to bring the fight to him, but Khali chops him down as Joey reminds us of his battle royal successes in 07. Kali dominates Taker, but Taker eventually shoves him out. Kind of disappointing, given Kali's big push. You kind of assumed maybe he'd get more of a showing here. Sean keeps trying to sneak in on Taker but and dump him, but he can't. Hardcore Holly's in at number five. Things don't go well for him, but he lives on as Sean keeps trying to sneak Taker out whenever he's dominating, and that becomes a running theme. Aaron and I talked a lot about this on Now We're Into the Rumble. And then Sean spends a lot of his time just trying to sneak attack on Taker. John Morrison is in at number six. A nice little spotlight for him. Taker and Sean continue to control the ring, but things are starting to fill up. Tommy Dreamer gets his hometown pop at number seven. Joey says Tommy may be the only person who would choose an ECW title match at WrestleMania if he wins this. The ring is filling up, but we get settled into a standard Royal Rumble flow now. We get a huge pop for Batista at number eight. The ring is loaded up with some heavy hitters. He nice to everyone to make an immediate impact. We get a cool stare down with him and Undertaker, but Tommy gets between them and Batista throws him out. Batista just wrecks whoever gets in his way in uh, the way of him throwing down with his rival Undertaker. Hornswoggle's in at number nine. He's all fired up, but then he realizes uh, what stands in the ring. So instead, he just hides under the ring and waits under there. And uh, JR takes a minute to remind us about when the King did that in the past. Chucky Palumbo's in at number 10. And Cole says he put Michelle McCool in the hospital by accident on Friday. So a little something cooking for him. Uh, so let's pause there. We're the first 10 through. Scott, any thoughts on this first third of the Rumble right now? Uh, good mix of high, top flight guys and like lesser guys, but well, mostly top flight guys. This is a good 30 as we, as we continue. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was very impressed with the, the balance and the crowd was hot, obviously. Um, at the, t- at the, at that moment, I wasn't sure who was going to win. I thought maybe it'd be Batista. I couldn't see Taker mm-hmm. going beginning to end, although, Obviously, in the back of your mind, you're thinking that that they're going to probably try to do Taker and an edge at, uh, at at WrestleMania. So, yeah, it was either him going back to back or maybe I mean, I think Triple H is the other favorite. Right. We'll see him. Right. Yeah. yeah. So 
So I, at this moment, seemed like destined. Exactly. It, I'm thinking to myself, Taker winning back to back at number one would be actually be kind of cool, but I, I'm not sure how that was going to go. But I was kind of thinking that way, Johnny, in the beginning. What were your what was the the crowd feeling like? Did they get a feeling that wow could Taker actually run the table? Yeah. Well, what about uh just just the one and two with Taker and HBK? Just fired up the crowd just like that. I, I, I mean, has, has there ever been a, a better one and two in, in any mm-hmm. rumble? Uh, that, that's up there. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Michael Buffer was was amazing uh, with the uh, the Undertaker entrance. Uh, that was terrific. That was a good job by Vince. Uh, getting one last uh, shot in on uh, the grave of WCW. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hiring a uh, Buffer. But uh, also you notice the... Uh, the uh, I believe it was the 92nd uh, entrances. Uh, yeah, the, mm-hmm. it, it was it was real quick, so you didn't really get a chance to uh, catch your breath. And also, it, it kind of uh, makes the because uh, every rumble has uh, has like a low period where you get like uh, you know your Palumbos right. and your Nobles in and uh, in a certain time. But but he, there was really uh, you know up until this point, there's really uh, no no lull. They hit the ground running, especially with uh, you know two Hall of Famers one and two. Bang like that when with the 90 second entrances. This is just a this is a sprint, uh, you know, no slow spots, uh, all good stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, Axe and Smash is probably the other hottest one too. I would think of, but not too many. Uh, as far as star power, this is this is probably up there. Uh, Jamie Noble's in at number 11. Cole says he's Palumbo's arch enemy, so they go right at it. Palumbo tosses him with ease though. Short night for Jamie. CM Punk is in at number 12, gets a huge pop. Not much else doing here, though. Just a couple of Morrison elimination teases. Punk gets to go at it with Sean and Taker. Kind of a cool moment for him there. Sean's nose is busted open. He just looks uh, washed here at this point, honestly. He's taking quite the beating. Punk throws out Palumbo and avoids a Sean sneak attack to hang on. Cody Rhodes is in at number 13 for his first Rumble match. He almost throws Punk out right away. In comes Umaga at 14. He's wrecking house with big strikes. Just easily tosses Holly after they have a chop war. Siski gets us to 15, looking gross as always. JR says HD has not helped him at all. He does throw some bodies around <laughs> and almost dumps Cody, but he hangs on as we go as we go along. JR says Morrison looks like a young Shawn Michaels out there. Miz is in at 16. He goes right to help his partner against Punk. Shelton Benjamin at 17 wipes out Miz and Morrison, but a moment later, Shawn kicks him out with a nasty switch in music. Kind of a sad showing. I thought Shelton deserved a little bit more of a spotlight here. We get a big first big surprise as Superfly Jimmy Snuka comes in at number 18. He gets a big pop. We get some excited guy uh, guys just feeding and bumping for him. And it just felt like it was a cool moment for them in there with Snuka, uh, including uh, shaking Sean and Taker with big headbutts. So they're all in on it. We then get another surprise at number 19 as the bagpipes fire up and out comes Rowdy Roddy Piper. Another huge pop. Just perfect booking with him and Snuka back to back. Uh, they throw down as everyone just watches them. Kane comes in at 20 as we get to our back end of the match. Kane dumps Piper and Snooker right away to booze, and then it's Clean's house. Coach says Kane has been in every World match since 1999. So, Johnny, this is our second third. Uh, what was the Piper Snooker stuff like live there? Uh, Snooker got a, got a decent pop, and uh, also a uh, taker in HBK. Uh, you know, gave him the respect right away. They they went right to him and they, and took a couple bumps for him, and they they, they let him shine in, in a minute. And then just uh, Piper, that was uh, that was one of the pops of the night. Uh, 
Uh, people went bananas for that entrance. Uh, unfortunately, he should have kept the shirt on. Probably, uh, <laughs> I guess with the with the health with the health issues, he didn't get a chance to keep up with the fitness, and he was a little yeah, uh, yeah. he was a little bloated uh, there. He probably should have probably would have been better off uh, keeping the shirt on. But uh, hey, hey, at least they they let him do that. The, that was great when the ring cleared and uh, they let him do that thing, and and they got yeah, him out yeah. quick. So it it was a great moment, but they didn't uh, they didn't overdo it. Right. So, and uh, yeah, that, the pop was was the thing. That was uh, that was tremendous, a memorable moment. Scott, what did you think of that? Uh, it was awesome. Um, I remember watching again. I remember watching my brother, and I'm like, oh, Jimmy Snuka. Like, I listen, Snuka was my first favorite wrestler, but I'm like, uh, oh, Snuka. But then when I heard the bagpipes, my brother lost his shit because he loves Piper, and I'm like, and it was, and this was really awesome, uh, because you know, you think of all the the great wrestlers in the history of the biz of the company and that building and you think of the you know the the pats and the backlands and the you know snooka and morocco and a but when i think of like a guy that generated the greatest heat in the history of that building i always think of piper i always mm-hmm. think of fucking war to settle the score with he's comes in with the hulkamania shirt on and the fucking emerald band and the fucking chaos with the cops and tea and ho like every time i see piper and I think of MSG, that guy brought the greatest heat in that building. That was a genius yeah. move to stick him in that slot to get the to get Johnny and the guy and the gang in that building back, like totally loaded. Um, you know, and again, Sean and and Taker sticking around and you're thinking, well, hmm, interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was this was a fun rumble. I forgot how much fun this rumble actually is. Um uh, definitely better than the last rumble in this building. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, the crowd is hot, but the, uh, just seeing Piper, uh, was pretty mm-hmm. awesome and, and seeing the, the, the pops and the, the, the pipes going off. It was pretty great. I was at, it, it, I was looking forward to the end cause we knew there was a lot of guys still not still left to come out. Um, but the, the energy level was very high. All right, Carlito's in at 21. He spits his apple at Cody, then works his way around the ring. Nice flow with some of the young guys pinballing around while the big dudes slug away. The ring is really filled up now. Big Pop as Mick Foley's in at 22. Goes right at Kane as the crowd is chanting for him. Foley fights off everyone as Undertaker power bombs Batista out of the corner. Umaga mashes Taker with the Samoan drop. Bodies flying everywhere. Mr. Kennedy's in at 23. We get some big players here. A good mix of up-and-comers and stars. Big Daddy V's in at 24. He hits Taker. Uh, he hits as Taker dumps Nitsky, but then Sean hits Switch of Music and finally gets Taker as he's tried to sneak attack him all night long. But as that happens, in comes Mr. Kennedy from behind, and he dumps Sean. So this is a cool payoff. As Sean spent all match trying to sneak, sneak attack Taker, he finally does it, and then his enemy from last month, Kennedy, Dumps him. Big moment for Kennedy. Long run for Sean and Taker. Taker puts Nisky through a table on his way out. Just for fun. Mark Henry's in at 25. Uh, Hornswoggle reappears. He helps pull the Miz out before ducking back under the ring. Henry and Big Daddy V work together, which is a good strategy. It's a lethal pairing we talked about recently. Chavo puts everyone to sleep when he comes out at 26. He gets into it with CM Punk and Kane as uh, Kane knocks out Morrison as well. Pretty long night for him. Good showing. A lot of hype on commentary as well. Hornswoggle finally gets caught. Henry pulls him in the ring, and he and V stalk over him. But Finley comes in to make the save. He batters the big boys with his club. Finley bails out and leaves with Hornswoggle. 
coach and Cole tried to figure out if Hornswoggle was actually eliminated. And JR says Finley was disqualified for using the shillelagh, which is just stupid. Like, what are we doing? Just, <laughs> yeah. just have Finley get chucked out. Like, it's just so dumb. No one's ever been disqualified at Royal Rumble. Elijah Burke is in at 28 as Batista rolls outside in pain after taking the Samoan spike. Chavo eliminates Punk because he's annoying, of course. we got to push that feud along. Out at number 29, our other favorite that we talked about earlier, of course, and that is... Throwback. See if this late draw for him continues to put him in position to win this match. We have some big time threats in there right now, but Triple H definitely seems positioned for the win. He slings Big Daddy VL right away, goes at it with Omago, who's been his big rival in the back end of 07. We get a fun McFoley Triple H callback to eight years ago in this area building, and Hunter slams Foley into Elijah Burke, and they both go out. The ring is clearing out as we start to whittle things down. Triple H hits Omago with a pedigree. Number 30 sounds, and we get the surprise of a lifetime as John Cena is back, and the what? crowd goes batshit, and then remembers they're supposed to hate him, so they start booing. Uh, but it's an amazing all-time moment, one of the best surprises in WF, in all of wrestling history. It was so well-hidden, not rumored at all. It was you know not teased at all in any way. Really cool. And the crowd is so great because they're so happy for the surprise. And then they start booing because that's the cool thing to do. But um, it was so well done. Everyone's in shock as Cena gets in the ring, especially Triple H, whose big advantage is just pissed away because out comes Cena. Cleans house. The crowd, of course, switches to booze. You can tell they want to cheer. Cena throws out Carlito, throws out Chavo, throws out Henry, gets a big stare down with Hunter. We get the WrestleMania sign as the crowd is buzzing. They're throwing bombs. They get center stage for a quick war until Umaga takes down Hunter. Umaga goes to hit the spike on Triple H, but Batista comes out of nowhere with a big spear. Batista then dumps Kennedy and knocks Umaga out, and we have a stacked final four. Kane grabs Batista and Hunter, but they fight him off and throw him out. And the crowd is just bonkers as we have the three mega stars left. Batista, Triple H, John Cena. The three of them soak it up. They start to go to battle. Batista mostly controls, but Triple H is able to knock him out of the ring with a clothesline, leaving just the two. They battle for a bit until Cena hoists him up with an AA and throws him out of the ring to shock the world and win the Royal Rumble for the first time in his career. An insane moment, an incredible surprise. The match itself I found to be a little up and down. 
not much in the ring, but the heat was awesome. The excitement was great. Tons of stars. Easy to watch. The surprises were cool. Taker and Sean's stuff was well done. And that led us right into the final segment of the match. The big stars at the end was a nice touch. We don't always get that. Uh, we get another long war. And John Cena winning was wild because he was supposed to be out like nine months, nine to ten months, they had said. Well, you know, he's back in what? Four, not even. Um, and you wonder, like, okay, he won, but is he going to end up losing it? And then going back, was it just for a one-night surprise? Or is he really back? And is he going to fight Orton to pay off their feud at Mania? So, Scott ended up going on the four-and-a-half star scale. Uh, four-and-a-half on the, on the five-star scale for this match here. Uh, again, not the best rumble, but when you factor in the heat, the surprises of the moments, it really ranks up there. Uh, and so what did you think of the match, the back end of the match? And then where do you rank the Cena surprise all time in wrestling history? Uh, I gave it, uh, I I gave it a, uh, a four and a half. I mean, this match is, was pretty awesome. And actually one of the faster rumbles, Johnny was talking about the 90 seconds, the total runtime for the whole match, 51, 25, which seems very quick Mm. for a, uh, for a rumble match. But, uh, obviously 29 came out. Speaking of, uh, 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 29 and, and Triple H, uh, JR. Since this is the first HD pay-per-view, maybe we should get an HD medley now. <laughs> the, we, need to, we need to upgrade the... Uh, never. We'll never <laughs> leave the beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I remember... Uh, well, first of all, the, 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 the back end was great and the Triple H, Batiste, and Cena's looking at each other. I mean, Johnny can obviously attest to it, but uh, those kind of moments are just so fucking great live. They really are. Um... I was stunned when when Cena was 30. And I remember being so pissed. Uh, uh, again, I was watching this at my brother's and so pissed because I thought it was an absolute lock that Triple H was going to win. And the minute his music hit and that fucker was standing at the gate, at the door, at the uh, open, I'm like, this son of a bitch is going to win this thing. I think he kind of knew it. You know, he was going to win. I don't think there's any doubt at this point. You're not going to put on one of the, and, and this is probably, I would say, top three uh, surprises ever. I mean, Flair the night after Survivor Series 01 is up there. Um, maybe Brock the night after 28. I don't know if that was really ever rumored, but uh, that moment was 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 crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that. I mean, he was winning. Warrior at eight. I mean, that's a big one. Warrior at eight, probably, yeah. Um, maybe Hogan winning the belt at nine. Well, anyway. Um, I, I mean, this is just, it, it was crazy. And I pretty much, and I remember saying it to my brother, I said, Cena's winning this fucking thing. I mean, if he's healthy and mm-hmm. he's in this, you're not having him lose. That's stupid. The only way I could see him losing would be if Cena came, if a Orton came out and cost him. Yeah, or if he just you know, wasn't healthy and they did it for the because that's what it felt like at the moment. It's like okay, they're just doing this for the pop, and then he's gonna be gone again. Like they just they did it for a one time surprise, and then Triple right. H went. Like that's what you're thinking maybe in the moment. Even after he won, I still felt like that way. Like okay, like he's just gonna lose it in no way out or whatever, and then go back go back to rehab. He won't really wrestle on TV, right? But no, I I mean rehabbed faster than like anyone <laughs> whatever. Uh, I, I, I was at Picasso's for the show, and I remember that the places went fucking insane when he came out. It was just crazy. It was just no one expected it. Mm, yeah, I, it's it's. Uh, I mean, that's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I, I was, 
I was again. Uh, sometimes the markness comes out. I, I was a little pissed because I wanted. I, obviously, I wanted to see Triple H win, but the minute I saw Cena come out, that was it. He was winning this thing, and uh, the fact that he kind of, you know, the Triple H kind of, uh, you know, they took out Batista. I think you knew that Triple H and Cena would be the last two, and I don't know. It was just a good. It was a good ending. Uh, I wasn't happy, but you know, I I, I had a feeling some kind of thing was going to go on between now and and Orlando so but I, I the rumble at its at its base yeah it was not the greatest ever um I mean it's I still think 92 and 02 are two of my favorite well obviously 02 but besides who won that one I still think that's a great rumble and 01 is a great rumble 92 is obviously the best rumble ever uh but this one comes this one was good from an emotional perspective I think the the MSG crowd, Johnny's uh, obviously uh, can attest to that. Um, just from the emotional viewpoint of it, and from the creative viewpoint, it might be one of the better rumbles. As a standalone match, yeah, it was okay. But I think the just the whole thing with with Cena and just the, I feel like the thirty guys were loaded. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, there was a ton of heavy hitters in this, Johnny. So I'm sure people in the building that night were not quite sure what to think. Was Taker going to run the table? Would Triple H be that guy? And then obviously once the music hit at 30, I think everybody knew. But let me ask you, John, first of all, obviously your thoughts on the match. And let me ask you, sitting in amongst the crowd, did it feel like that immediate, yeah, this is awesome. Oh, wait, we're supposed to hate this fucking guy. Boo, go back to rehab. Like, did it seem that much of a snap? Like the minute everybody thought to themselves, oh, shit, we're not supposed to be cheering this guy. Like, what was that feeling? Nah, I, I didn't really uh, get any of the booze. It was it was all love. It was it was an amazing pop, and uh, I got and plus everybody was just so happy that they got the big, they, they got the big surprise that, cause, cause you know back then it was uh it was pretty much a, a done deal that that they put out there that that he was he was gonna be out in like nine to ten months that there was no way he was gonna be back from mania. And mm-hmm. that was the word. And, uh, you know, it's not like today where you got, you know, the fightful guy gives the scoops before they even happen. And, and everybody knows everything now. And there aren't really any surprises. So they, they, did, they did a good job of hiding that. As a matter of fact, I was with my, my friend and, and his kid, uh, as we were on the way back, uh, his kid, he was about, about 10 or 11. He says, oh, see, he says it's going to be Cena. Cena, he called it. He said Cena's going to be number 30. And I was like, ah, no way. They, you know, I thought I was so smart. Dave Meltzer told me that uh, his Cena's not going to be back for a while. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a total surprise. But I didn't get to, you know, when New, New York, had they, they forgot to hate him. But it, it was all up. I didn't really get, uh, like, uh, to, too many boos quick. Uh, that they, they was all on it right away and that that's just one of those uh pops that you never forget you know one of the greatest mm. ever but but as far as the uh the star power too in this uh main event i mean plus, plus when you add like the ogs like piper and snooker and foldy so mm-hmm. it, it has to be mm. the yeah it has to be the most uh wrestlemania main eventers in in one rumble uh i'm, I'm sure uh maybe i mean 92 is up there more yeah, well, 92 is up there, but this is this but, is. But main event is you gotta, yeah. yeah I, I think you have more uh, that main evented mania because you know obviously it's later. Right. So yeah, but but plus with the star power, but I think the the 90 seconds really helped. They they might have to go back to that because when you got Triple H at 29, uh, like now with the longer entrances, there's mm-hmm. such that big build up, like who's coming out at 30. That's all they talk about. But now it was bam, bam. Triple H came out at 29. And he was eliminating people, so say they didn't really have have time to say, oh, who's coming at thirty? There was really no buildup, so that was another thing. It, it was all so sudden when all of a sudden that thirty hits and 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 it's Cena, 
because now they they, they kind of like overbuild it up uh, you know they have a bunch of scrubs come out like 25 to 29 and and, and they milk that number 30 but but this was just so sudden and uh, just an amazing moment and uh, well, one of the best rumbles where did this uh, rumble rank as far as uh, all-time greats uh, when when you did your last countdown uh, uh i'd have to look I, I know the show itself yeah i forgot too i remember i remember hearing it i, I think it was yeah, definitely top that. five right it was up there. I mean, the Rumble match itself, yeah. Um, again, too, a lot of it is is based in like the the heat and the atmosphere and the surprise more than like the work itself. Um, yeah. But you know, the Sean Taker stuff is interesting. It threads through most of the match. I wasn't like super crazy about stretches of it. I actually thought Taker was a little sluggish through a lot of this match. Um, and the Sean stuff was weird. We just kept trying to like heal on him. But there was still like a lot of fun stuff in it. It never dragged. There was um, really no, yeah. There was hardly any dead spots. I mean, right. You know, when you got like, you know, Palumbo, Noble, Snitsky, you know, Miz, or you know, within like five or six entrances, that that that's when it really could have died. But even then, the, it still kept up. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm. All right, let's get to our awards. Wrap things up. Match of the night, it sounds like... Uh, actually, hang on. Sorry, so we got MVP. Uh, MVP for me, I went with... Oh, you know what? Before that, too? Hang on real quick. Here's our stats from Jeff Jarvis. I want to... You put the time in. I want to give them to us. So, uh, most eliminations of the night was Triple H with six. Next most were John Cena and Batista tied with four. Our Iron Man was Batista, 37 minutes, 46 seconds. Shortest was Finley with zero, apparently. Uh, next shortest, Shelton Benjamin, 18 seconds. First elimination was Santino Morella. Final was Triple H. And, of course, John Cena back uh, three months from the pictorial tear for this one. So now let's get to our awards. MVP for me, I mean, it's hard not to say John Cena given the moment yeah. and the win. Come on. Definitely. Yep, I agree. Okay. Uh, LVP, I want Great Khali. Like, I felt like he had such a good um, 07 where he was presented as a monster and a top guy, and he comes in here and he just gets a run out so quick. And, like, it's not like he was a joke or a comedy guy or anything yet. Like, he's still coming off a stretch where he was, like, a top dude. Um, I just didn't see any reason to throw him out as quick as they did, especially in a Rumble setting. Like, let him dominate for a bit. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they, I think the bloom fell off the rose for him by the end of 07. I'm going to go with a uh, big Dick Johnson for ruining uh, the Santino segment. <laughs> uh, Santino really had the crowd fired up and, and he kind of, he kind of ruined that segment with the, with his Patriots song on. All right. Uh, best match. I would say we're, this is where we're probably all going rumble. Rumble, rumble. Definitely. Oh yeah. Yep. All right. Worst match. I went with uh, Jericho, JBL. Jericho. Jericho JBL, yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty bad. Uh, all right, best moments, obviously, <laughs> come on. again. Uh, come on. Yeah. Return. yeah, come on. Yep. All right. Uh, surprise of the night. Uh, I, I mean, I guess again, right? Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Turn. Start yep. to top it. Well, Pipe Piper right. is an uh, entrance, too. Yeah, there's some good ones. It just yeah. sucks for them that Cena. Yeah, so obvious. Yeah. All right, this is obviously a great show. It's, it's a really well-regarded rumble. It's got so many big moments, a really damn good undercard. I mean, you know, we said JBL Jericho was the worst match, and I had that at two and three quarters. So it's like, like it's not even that bad of a match. So um, it's a pretty tight card. The segment was kept kept tight. Commentary was on point. 
big time all time moment at the end. So I ended up going eight out of ten for this. Eight and a half. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with eight. I mean, we did a lot of. I mean, we had fours, a couple three and a halves. Energy level was high. Uh, outside of Jericho and JBL, every match had something involved with it. Even though I didn't love Ray and Edge, it told a good story, at least on the back end. Uh, yeah, I. This is definitely one of those rumbles you sometimes forget about, as one of maybe a top ten all time rumble. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it an eight. Definitely. Okay. All right, so we start 2008 with a bang. I mean, it's a great pay-per-view here to get this year rolling. So we'll see if they can continue on. And, and you know, we liked a lot of the back end of 07 too, Scott. So we're on yeah. a bit of a roll here for sure on this timeline. We'll be back in two weeks' time with No Way Out 08, our final stop on the road to WrestleMania. So we'll see how things break out and set up there. Until then, everyone take care. We'll talk to you soon. John Cena trademark, y'all are so-so And talk about the bread you make But don't know the recipe for dodo Aiming guns in all your photos That's a no-no In this pop, your lip lock Your big talks are blatant no-so See what happens when the ice age melts It see monetary status is not what matters But it helps I rock a timepiece by Benny, if any The same reason y'all could love me Is the same reason y'all condemn me A man's measured by the way that he thinks Not clothing lines, ice links, leather and minks I spent 20 plus years seeking knowledge itself so for now, Mark Freck is living life for wealth. Yeah,